Okay, I guess I'm live, hopefully. I don't know. I'm really bad at these things. I am going to check on over here on my desktop computer on my YouTube to see if I can see if this is actually going out. Okay, it says I'm live now. So I'm gonna click on here and see if I can get a chat going. Hmm. Yes, okay. <laughs> it's okay to be white. It sure is. Hello, hello. Hello, the class, A class. Um, yes, I am live. So this is my thought. So I have this podcast I do randomly called Random Thoughts. It's kind of just whenever I get a chance, I kind of do a little podcast um, style of uh, a video show. Um, which is my random thoughts. And I thought that I would try to do it once a week. Now, I didn't announce this at all. So the only people who kind of know about this are people who have their notifications set for my channel and who just got the notification that I went live. Um, I'm going to tweet it out in just a minute. But go ahead and put some things in the chat there for me and we can start talking. I've got a couple news stories I want to talk about. My goal for Random Thoughts Live is that I want to do this every Thursday. Usually it's going to be, I think, more towards the evening, more about like four o'clock Pacific um, Standard Time, maybe seven o'clock Eastern. But today I had a lot of other things going on, so I started earlier. So this is kind of like a test um, for me. So Put me in, tell me in the chat box, can you guys hear me okay? Because I've got to keep my thing muted. So let me know if you can hear me. Just type something in the chat. Yay! Okay. <laughs> I feel technologically functional. This is terrific. Okay, great. So, yeah, let's get this started. I'm just going to grab the link here on my computer really quick, and I am going to tweet it out. Um, and then that way a couple other people will know about it. Whoever's on Twitter right now. I th think I can tweet it out. I might not be signed into my Twitter right now. <laughs> that would be funny if I forgot that part. Okay, so let's just go ahead and... Oh yeah, I do. I need to log into my Twitter. The small things you overlook. I don't use my... I use my Twitter so often on my other devices. So let's do this really quickly. And then I can tweet it out and let a few other people know. And log in. Yes. Okay, there I am. All right, let me tweet out this link. Join me live on my YouTube right now. That's pretty good. Okay. And tweet. Okay, so it's been a crazy week, hasn't it, guys? Like, it's been pretty nuts. So there have been a lot of news stories going on. Let me just check the comments here and see what you guys have to say. Like um, <laughs> the display, thank you. Um, <laughs> there's a Jewish rabbi on here who really likes my content. Okay, yeah. 
<laughs> sure. Um, uh, white is all right. That is a phenomenal campaign. Oh my gosh. Let's let's talk about the it's okay to be white campaign. Is that not amazing? It's simple. I feel like that could be like my bio on my Twitter, right? It's kind of like what I've been trying to say for, for two, three years now on my Twitter. Like, it's okay to be white. It's, you know, um, I love that, uh, that, you know, we have that going on right now. It's a simple, clear message that they really can't argue with. I mean, I, they can and they do and they, they try, but they really come off as idiots when they do. Um, I just love it. You know, we're talking, a lot of people have been talking about optics recently. Um, and that, the optics on that are just beautiful. Um, yeah, I, I don't, somebody says I don't get why people are opposed to it. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't get it either. <laughs> and I, I think that, uh, you know, this is one of the, I think this is part of my naivete as a human being, like when all of this kind of the pro-white movement, I guess, started where people were saying, hey, hey, wait a minute now, you know, look, we're legitimately like not racist, but we're also not ashamed of being white. And, and we, if you're not ashamed of your heritage and your culture, like you're, you know, that doesn't mean that you're a racist. And, um, it's really funny to me because, you know, I think in very, you know, clear terms myself, I think in that I really take people a lot at face value when they tell me something. If they say, hey, look, you know, I don't hate people of, of other races. I just, you know, I, I love my heritage. Uh, I say, okay, you know, that's great. And uh, I, I've never thought twice about it. And, and it's kind of odd to me that people work these things up in their mind about, well, if you're proud of your heritage, you know, you, you must be a Nazi, etc. And that's what a couple of the news stories I wanted to talk about are um, about this week. So we've got this city um, University of New York professor of sociology said in a tweet storm this week that the quote, the white nuclear family, uh, end quote, promotes racism. And of course, there was a huge backlash to this on social media. I tweeted about it. I think almost everybody tweeted about it. Um, her name is Jessie Daniels. She's a professor of sociology at Hunter College in New York. Um, New York, I guess. It's not surprising. Um, and uh, she says, it says, Jesse Daniels described as an expert on, quote, the internet manifestations of racism. Oh, wow. You know, I think that, like, peeking into her brain for, like, two minutes, it must be, like, if you guys, do you guys ever watch Star Trek? And, you know, like, the Star Treks where they um, enter people's brains and it's, like, clowns and juggling and like you know people on trapeze and it's it's just nuts like I, I picture that like that must be what it's like to live in her head to be like that obsessed um that she's an expert on internet manifestations of racism man and I thought that my degree was kind of stupid you know as most people that follow me know I have a master's degree in women's spirituality and um, the overall course content was world religions and kind of more specified on European paganism. And then I did my uh, master's thesis on the Amish and the Mormons and home birth within those communities. And so that's like bizarre and strange, like to major in and like all of those little different 
avenues of things that I studied, but oh my gosh, I mean, I look like a Rhodes Scholar compared to somebody who's te- who's an expert on the internet manifestations of racism. That's just like, ah, where did these people come from? Okay, um, she infuriated social, uh, infuriated social media users after reportedly saying that white families promote racism by default. And this is where we've been moving people. This is where we've been going for so long. And this is what I've been talking about for a couple of years, you know, that we are, you know, a couple years ago when I saw that this was the trend, that, that these people were beginning to feel comfortable just openly saying that being white in and of itself was racist. You just, you're racist if you're white. It is only a small step to then attacking the white family unit in and of itself and being the mom of a, of a white family. You know, that was something that was alarm bells were going off for me a couple years ago and why I started a lot of what I do on Twitter and my YouTube. Um, she added that families reproducing white children are, quote, part of the problem as they facilitate white supremacy in the country. Now, I have to tell you, the reason I know this is because, again, getting back a little bit to my educational background, my master's degree I got in uh, at New College in San Francisco and it was at the time the most liberal place that probably that you could go to get a degree. It, it outlived Berkeley by by miles, and um, which is part of the reason that I went to it. I've always been really interested in just really radical thought and people and people having different and new ideas. And, and of course, as part of my red pilling experience, as many of you know, because I kind of got there and I was like, oh my gosh, what are these people talking about? This is crazy. And the things that I learned there 10 years ago are just chump change compared to what people are doing now. But this is one of the things that was kind of implicit. I, I would say back then about 10, 11 years ago, it was very, it was still very implicit, sometimes explicit, but that simply by reproducing white children you're part of the problem and I know that a that a lot of my study and focus was about families and it was about as I mentioned just a few minutes ago my master's thesis on home birth within the Mormon and Amish communities and their relationship to the divine feminine within home birth blah 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 and so I was very family focused in my work um during my graduate degree and I really saw this idea that reproducing white children was part of the problem in academia at the time. And a lot of my professors were white, some were Jewish, some were African-American. Um, I'm trying to think if I had any other, oh, some were Latino. Oh no, wait, someone, I had a Hawaiian professor. So I got this from these professors, both white and non-white, that simply reproducing white children was part of the problem. And no one explicitly said it at the time, but it was very implicitly, taught to me that my work was less valued because of that and that might have not been something that they were necessarily all of them trying to convey to me but it was definitely the message that came across which is kind of why I saw all of this I think a little earlier than some other people coming down the pike I saw that this was where we were going in our country because I was at this very liberal program and this is this was kind of the understanding and the path that academia academia at the time was going down and it was really frightening for me because I didn't feel like there was anything wrong with producing white children obviously um neither then nor now but I did feel guilty I did at the time when I was I was liberal I I had this kind of leftist 
guilt a little bit of like, wow, should I, like, is, is what I'm doing wrong? You know, I would question myself. I guess I didn't quite have the guilt per se, but I did question myself. And I would say, yeah, something I'm doing wrong with having white children. And, you know, and I would look at my children and I think, no, wait a minute. How crazy is that? How could there be something wrong with them simply because of their race? Like that's, that's crazy. Um, you know, I shouldn't feel bad for having chosen a white husband and, and I shouldn't feel bad for having white children that, you know, um, anyways. Um, so let's see, I'm going to go to the comment section here a little bit. The word racist was created to attack whites. Definitely hundred percent agree with that. Um, no other community is called racist because racist really isn't, um, it's not a real term. It's not a real definable thing, is it? When you talk about, um, let's use Chinese people as an example. Um, if Chinese woman, um, loves her heritage, wants to marry a Chinese man, have Chinese babies, nobody says a darn word. In fact, you know, I mean, they're usually given accolades for that. And in any other non-white community, um, that happens. And it's because most people are quote unquote racist in that way, in that most people of all races prefer their own race, not only as far as like to marry and to have children with, but also to, um, to live around and to work with. And even, you know, the, the, the smaller things, um, you know, going out to eat, going to the park, most people prefer their own race. This is why even though um, some some uh, blacks will make enough money to live in white neighborhoods, a lot of them will choose not to. And they'll choose to continue to, to live in black neighborhoods. They love their people. And that's great. And that's normal. And that's healthy. So, um, you know, this term racist is it's completely undefinable because it's not real. Right. It's, it's completely healthy and natural for a person to prefer their own race. And some people don't, you know, some people, uh, you know, always been attracted to, to, you know, Asians or Latinos or whatever it is that, you know, and fine, but that is the minority. And we, I don't think it's the wrong thing here to, you know, honestly point that out and talk about it honestly. So we got, um, beautiful and white says wife with a purpose. They are starting to go after Asians. They are. I noticed that the past year, um, using Asians as an example is, is starting to become uh, something I can't do online or in my work, in my videos anymore, because I, you know, I've, I've said before, you know, well, you know, Japan is, you know, pretty much 100% Japanese. Are they racist? And I've had some people start to say yes. That's definitely been something I've noticed in the, in the past, about the past year. And again, that's one of those things that you can see it coming down the pike, the way I could see, um, you know, this, this hostility towards the very act of being white, being a bad thing coming down the road, you know, we can see this, they are, they're going after Asians and I, Murdoch Murdoch did a great video on this. I don't know if you guys watch Murdoch Murdoch. Um, it's one of my guil guilty pleasures <laughs> because they do cuss and things like this and they definitely do make incredibly inappropriate jokes, but, um, their overall message is incredibly inspiring and uplifting most of the time. And they really capture a way for some of us white people to work through the angst of the modern world. And they did this one on, on HAPAs on, on half, you know, the white people forming an, an alliance with half Asian, half white people. And, um, because they said, and, and the Murdoch Chan, one of her, 
her little mini speeches in that one was, you know, she was talking to a Hapa woman and she said, you know, after they get rid of us, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to come for you next. It's going to be Hapa privilege to explain why you have better test scores. It's going to be, you know, Hapa Asian privilege to just to um, to explain why you you do better um, in in jobs and job performances and, you know, uh, housing and schooling and all of this. And, and it's true. That's very, very true. Um, let me check back in with the comments here a little bit. Uh, they want us all dumbed down and mixed. I, you know, and I agree that, well, you know, let's even just get away from the IQ thing for a minute. Um, and, and just talk about identity, even, um, when it comes to us all being mixed race. And, and that's an issue because, um, when you have an identity, and I, I did a video about this probably about a year ago, maybe less, when, when you're, everyone has an identity, okay? My, my, my son is 14 right now, and that's the phase that he's going through is, who is he? You know, he's, and he loves to define himself right now, and that's a huge part of teenagehood, and that's why they do crazy things like spike their hair, get piercings, or whatever. They're trying to define who they are. They're trying to find their identity, and this is a part of becoming a mature, healthy, mentally healthy adult. And a lot of us def used to, you know, back in the day, define our identity through our heritage and through our nation and through our religion. Those were our main things. And if you take those away from people, then the only thing really left for people to identify themselves through is political ideology and consumer products. And that's what they want really much more the political ideology, because of course, they want votes, they want people to be voting Democrat. And then the um, the product consumer products, um, because they want us to consume. And I remember when I was um, a very young adult, just first living on my own, I used to buy a lot of like magazines. And I was trying to figure out like, I wanted to start a collection, I wanted to collect something, you know, to help kind of frame my identity. Um, you know, because when I would interact with other people, it was like, oh, you know, she collects um, porcupine figurines. And that's something that my mother used to collect. So that's why I use it as an example. It seems like an odd example, but, um, or, or Beatrix Potter, like my mother loved Beatrix Potter. So she collected Beatrix Potter. And I was always trying to figure out like, well, what's my thing? What's my identity? And I remember one Christmas, I just sat down and I hand sewed some Christmas stockings for my husband and I, and I put the, our, our flags on there from our heritage. So British flag, Irish flag, German flag, um, that sort of thing. And I was like, this is me, you know, this is, this is authentic. This is real. It's not about collections and collections can be fine and great. Um, so, <laughs> uh, Eve Renaissance says my grandma collected bells and I love it. Those are really sweet. Cause then you can pass them on as long as they don't, as long as you're not like, you know, going into debt to collect these things. Um, you know, they, it's really sweet. And, you know, actually I'm looking right at one of my mom's porcupine, porcupine, um, Mrs. Tiggy Winkle tea kettles. It's sitting on my dresser right now and it's lovely and it's wonderful. And I can remember her because she, she passed away five years ago. So those kind of collections are fine and good, but when we substitute these consumer products for our real identity and, and the identity that God gave us, the identity we had at birth, which is gender, which is racial heritage and ethnic background, and which is nation, Right. 
And when we, we strip those away from people, the only thing they have left is to identify themselves by what they consume and what they buy. And then, you know, so that what they want us to do is they give us things like Walmart and McDonald's and they say, and I sent a tweet out about this earlier this week, you know, oh, you know, why do you need identity? Why do you need racial and ethnic and national identity? You've got four different McFlurry flavors to choose from. And this actually came from, I was in an area of the country not too long ago that was very mixed race. And I saw that I saw a lot of the children identifying themselves that way because they were mixed race. They couldn't really like hold on to one part of themselves or the other. And it was very confusing and it was difficult for them. And so they did, they defined themselves very much by what brand of shoes they wore and what McFlurry flavor that they liked, you know, like, oh, well, I like M&M, well, I like Oreo, you know, and it would like became who they were. And that was really disturbing to me. I mean, not that you can't have a favorite ice cream flavor, most of us do, but that's what they want. You know, they want us to define ourselves that way. Uh, Tony Europa says identity is crucial. It is, Tony, like completely. It's completely, that's the crux of it. Identity, that is the foundation for our psyches and for our souls. And when you rip that out, you have incredibly broken people that will then try to fill that void with the latest, you know, music download, uh, the latest, you know, ice cream flavor, the latest product at Walmart. You know, um, I know when I walk through Walmart, you know, a lot of the t-shirts the and things, they want you to identify with sports teams and this sort of thing. And again, in moderation for fun, those things are wonderful but not as your primary identity. Your primary identity should not be your football team, right? Or your, you know, that you like McDonald's more than Wendy's or whatever it is. Um, and the welfare state, somebody's bringing up the welfare state. That's another huge part of it. It's a huge part of stripping away our identity because when we don't have connection and we don't have family, that, that's part of the attack on identity and families because when you don't have a strong family, both a nuclear family and an extended family, then you um, have to rely on the state when you're down. And then, and, and all of us are down at some point. All of us are going to be down. Like everybody is going to stumble. Everybody's going to have that moment where you're like, oh my gosh, how do I pay my bills? Or, you know, I, I'm in debt or whatever it is. And when you cannot turn to family for help and you turn to the state, then it is super easy to get dependent. And you look around and you see all these other people dependent on the state and you think, why should I bother? And it becomes very nihilistic. And if you don't have family ties and you're, you don't have a community connection. So, for example, with mixed race people, you know, a lot of times their families aren't connected. You know, they have their one family that's one race and another family that's another race. And they might get along kind of okay, but there's not a deep connection between them the way that there used to be. And then also just the no matter take the race component out of it, no matter what. Um, the attack on the family is, is about that. Whether it's a black family, white family, any traditional family, they're attacking based on the fact that when your, your chips are down, you don't have your family to go to. And some of the most wonderful experiences I've had as an adult is those times that I've been able to help siblings and in-laws in and cousins and, you know, whoever um, when they were down on their luck. You know, and that's... Just, I, I honestly, like, really dig that. I mean, it, it, you know, serving others is an amazing feeling, but 
serving your family is is even more amazing and when you make those connections and you keep those connections and you you live in a town where you were born and you know you go to the grocery store and you can sit there with somebody you meet randomly and do your you know your family chart and you you share you know a grandmother seven generations back and you know you're literally family in a homogenous society um you are less likely to turn to the state for anything all right let me check in with some of these comments here again belief in your own culture is to be true to your family's history yes um Let's see. Children don't know anything about their own history or cultures. I'm not quite sure that was a little bit of a sentence fragment there. I'm not sure what the context was there. Um, I have had recent dealings with the state. And to me, it seems that once you get into the system, they don't want you to leave. It was like they got mad at me for getting a job and earning money again. I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen with people. Yes. Um... You know, and I've been open about the fact that, you know, my first marriage, my husband left. I was married at 19 and he left um, when we were uh, 24, him and I. And that my first, my oldest son is through my first marriage. And my husband left and he left very suddenly and abruptly. I had no, I thought my marriage was completely fine. And he, he, he just like, just was gone. And he's been completely gone and not in our lives at all. And so I was suddenly, I had a seven-month-old baby, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And when I looked into my options, I was absolutely shocked to find out that the state would pay for everything. The state would give me anything I wanted as, as a single mother. And I was like, I guess, I, I mean, I was honestly horrified because I thought that this put me, it put me in a really tough situation because it was like, well, I had these two choices. I could just take everything from the state and well, that seemed easy enough. But if I did that, I could never better myself because if I was to get a job or to do anything like that, it would penalize me. And it would, you know, you would be in this weird, they put you in this weird middle ground where if you, if you work, then they take away benefits, but the work you get doesn't quite cover the benefit, you know, and so it, you end up in this weird middle ground where like you can't jump from one side to the other. And it, it, I saw this like I was projecting into the future, like I'm going to end up in this chasm where if I'm on welfare on this one side, there's going to be this chasm between me and actually functioning in life again. Like I, you know, even accepting this for a small amount of time is going to be really detrimental because the longer you're on it, the wider that chasm is going to get. And the harder it is ever going to be to get back to like normal living and, and like, you know, paying my own way and, and functioning again. Whereas, you know, I think in the olden days in situations like that, you know, family would take you in. Um, you might would, you know, maybe stay in a room at your sister's house or like whatever. You know, maybe if you, you know how to marry married sister or brother. Um, you know, and, and so, yeah, they, they actually penalize you when you're on benefits to such that they, yeah, it's like they don't want you to get off. It's really bizarre. It's really, really bizarre. Okay, let's check in with the chat here again. Uh, 
why do they get their culture from Harry Potter, says Evla Renaissance. Yeah, that's really true. Oh, freaking Harry Potter. I have a love-hate relationship with Harry Potter. Um, I love the cultural phenomena of it just because it was really fun when the books were coming out. And my oldest son was like three when the last book came out. We actually went to a Harry Potter party and he won the Harry Potter costume contest because he was like really cute and little. And so I have fond memories of like going to books bookstores when the books would come out, but I actually hate the books. I think the story is incredibly um, simplistic and the, there's no character development and there's, there's just nothing. Like my family and I actually recently read Bridge to Terabithia which, um, you know, is only a couple of decades old. Well, it's three, four decades old at this point. So not a super old book. But uh, gosh, the writing was so much better. Like Harry Potter dumbed us down for literature, like really dumbed us down. But it also does, you know, I think it, it becomes their identity. Um, you know, and again, these things in moderation, in small bits and pieces, you know, to enjoy a little story here or there, it's not going to bother anybody. But it is... The fact that they've eroded our foundation, taken away our identity, or they're trying to take away our identity, and then they want to give us McDonald's and Harry Potter um, in place of it. So let's go to another news story here that I've been looking at this week. Let me pull up my little thing where I put my news stories, if my internet will work. I live pretty rurally, so my internet is a little touch and go every now and again. Let me see if I can pull up another news story here. Come on. Come on. There we go. All right. So we talked about the woman, um, the sociology professor, and the fact that having a white family is now, according to her, racist by default. You're just perpetuating this racist system. Um, okay, yeah, I'm super professional because now I can't find my list of news stories. That's really strange. It's totally gone. Hold on a second. This is why you guys listen to me because I'm super professional. <laughs> I'm totally not just a mom in my room with an iPad. <laughs> I'm totally not. What? That's so weird. Where did it go? How bizarre is that? They're on to us, guys. They knew I was going to talk to you about this stuff. They've hijacked my Pinterest board. That's an interesting story. Do you guys know about my Pinterest board? My Pinterest board is a secret. Everything is set on private, and I have a false identity because Pinterest has kicked me off twice. And I actually didn't post anything controversial at all. The first time it was because I posted some news stories about um, Islamic terror. Oh, there it is. There's my board. Um, and then the second time was because um, uh, I posted actually a link from my own blog, wifewithapurpose.com, and that was considered hate speech. Yeah, go figure. Okay, so uh, let's get back to the news here. So um, anybody who uh, has been following this story about the um, rapper um, who put out a video a little while ago. Um, oh, now my Pinterest is messing up again. I swear, they know, they're on to me. He put out um, a video recently of 
uh, one of his songs, and in the video, a black child hangs a white child by his neck um, until dead. It's incredibly graphic. I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. Um, He announced this week that he's quitting music because you guys, quite frankly, have been very mean to him. (laughs) Um... (laughs) He staged the lynching of a white child um, in a racially charged music video. His name is, I have no idea how to say his name. It's triple X Tentacion. I don't know. T-E-N-T-A-C-I-O-N. If you want to Google that, if you don't know about it. He rails about police shootings of black men. um, And he depicted this child. So he depicted a black child hanging a white child The children look to be about, oh, I would say maybe seven years old at the oldest. Um, He puts the noose around the white child's neck. You see the child strung up. Now, you don't see the child's face, but you see his feet. They twitch and um, shake the way somebody would uh, in the throes of death. And then they are still. And um, he is uh, obviously, um, you know, one of these um, black identity extremists. And so, again, we, we were talking about identity a little while ago. And there is an extremist version of that, right? And the more extremist one side gets, the the more extremist the other side is going to get in reaction to that. Because obviously, if you have this black identity extremist who is, you know, it's not just that he's proud of being black. It's not just that he's proud of his heritage, culture, or people. It's that he's actually depicting the lynching of a white child in his videos in an incredibly graphic way. Um, you are going to get pushback. Obviously, white people are not going to like that. They're going to dig their heels in even more than you've you know seen before. The more and more of this crap that they throw at us. My chair is squeaky. Sorry for that. Um, it's it's absolutely incredible. But at any rate, he has decided to uh, quit music because of all of the. Uh, negative blowback I guess he got from this video now what's interesting is that the video was not demonetized it was not taken down it isn't even in restricted mode the last time I checked which is mind-blowing because you think kids can get on Pinterest and they can see this they can see this video it's uh it's crazy it's absolutely crazy um especially since you know, you look at somebody like um, like myself, uh, um, you know, I don't curse in any of my videos. There's no pornography. There's no violence, nothing. I don't call for violence. Um, yet uh, they have, um, they've refused to ever monetize me at all. They straight up would not allow me because one of my very first videos was one that got very popular. And um, I guess I was put on some kind of list because they straight just won't allow me to. And then... Um, They've also restricted a lot of my videos. I think most of them. I I think like 75% the last time I checked of my videos are in restricted mode. So if you're a child, you know you can't hear my my random thoughts. Let me check in with you back over here at the... Back over here in the comment section. Consumers have power. Remember to use it. Yeah, exactly. If... um, if the backlash against that that rapper made him quit music, then we win, says Tanya. I agree with you. 
Um, there is, I don't know if you guys ever watched the show. It's, it's at times incredibly degenerate, but uh, Kids in the Hall, about 20 some years ago, um, there was this hilarious sketch where a guy was arguing with his waiter about his bill after, at a, after eating at a restaurant. And he, there's this, this line, um, it's Bruce McCullough, the actor. And he says, I vote with my dollars. They're called dollar votes. You know, and he's trying to t tell this guy that he's the consumer and he has the power, but it's true. And that's what we say in my family. When we're talking about things like this, when we're talking about these rappers and when we're talking about all these, these other things, these anti-white businesses, You've got to vote with your dollars. And I love that the NFL protest at least has been, um, you know, rattling the cage of some of these elitists a little bit. I would love for the the boycott to have been bigger when it was when it first got going. Um, I think it's kind of fizzled out <clears throat> at this point. I would have loved for it to have been bigger, but it was it was darn impactful. Like it, it did rattle their cage. It did wake them up a little bit. And <clears throat> excuse me. Let me take a drink of water. Um, somebody says that the rapper got whooped on stage. Yeah, but that didn't happen after, I thought that that had happened after the video as well, but it actually had happened before the video. It was probably some kind of gang retaliation or something. Um, okay, somebody says, what do you say to Christians that claim what's happening to the West is God's will? Oh my gosh. Well, that's like claiming that some, you know, if a child is like kidnapped and raped and murdered, that that's God's will. Like, what? no. No, God gives us freedom um, to choose. We have free will through God. Part of God's will is, is free will. Imposing um, things upon us uh, to force us to love God or to force us to follow morality, that's Satan's plan. Satan's plan is force. That's why communism is Satan's plan, because it's force. It's going to force uh, society to do what the elites consider the quote-unquote right thing. God gives us free will. He says, you know, here are the standards by which you can live, and if you live by these standards, you know, you will have a, a really decent life, regardless of the, the challenges and hardships you face. And um, if you don't, then you're going to have the consequences. And right now, white people are, we are really um, enjoying, <laughs> I say that sarcastically, the consequences of um, what we did when we, I mean, well, there's a lot of points in time when this got out of control. I mean, we can go back 500 years at least if you really want to get into it. But let's, let's just say the 60s, right? The 50s and 60s was really when the sexual revolution and all of this happened, and that was really when things got incredibly bad. Like, things were definitely bad before that um, in different times, in different areas, in different periods, and we've, we've, ha we've seen a slow degrading of tradition and culture, again, over, over, honestly, a couple hundred years, if you look back to the French Revolution and things like this. But really, since the, se the sexual revolution, the feminist revolution of the 60s, which is why a lot of my activism work started in anti-feminism, that's where I started, that's where I wanted to stay, but I kind of got, I, I got drawn into this white thing because I'm, you know, it, it just took off recently, in recent years, and I'm, as a white person, was just, you know, appalled by it. But, um, no, it's not, it's not God's will. God, um gives us a set of standards to, to live by and we can choose that we can choose God or not it's like um you know if you think about your your romantic partner your husband or your wife would you want them to be forced to love you or would you rather them love you and um respect you of their own free will um I, I believe God is the same way 
Um, so no, I, I don't think it's his will. Though, I will say, God uses all things to his glory. So we might screw up. We might commit horrors and atrocities as human beings. But God will use it to his glory. And um, one of the things about, um, you know, I mean, how will he use you know, the decline of white people to his glory, I don't know, but I know that he can and he will. Um, and, you know, whether or not we bounce back from this. So I guess, you know, there's, there's basically two outcomes to this. Either white people wake up and we start having more babies and we start securing our countries and our nations and we start taking um, an appropriate amount of uh, pride in our heritage and our culture and in sustaining that. And we, and we turn to God or we don't and we die out. Um, either way, you know, um, God can use, can use it. Just live in the truth and God will always use the truth. Um, let's see. Oh yeah. Papa John's pull, pulled their ads from the NFL. I heard about that too. It was like, oh my gosh, I've got to go to, to Papa John's. I heard that they were having some, some trouble there, that they were blaming the NFL for their sales being down and something like this. Um, let's see, let's see, uh, what group of people has been the most hateful towards you? I don't know if that was aimed at me or if that's got, that you, if that is you guys talking in the chat. Um, but, uh, Jenny Case says, what group of people has been the most hateful towards you? So if that's aimed at me, oh, there's somebody answered. Never mind. I don't think that was aimed at me. Um, but that's an interesting question, I think, for all of us to think about. Um, but then, you know, uh, it just, it gets me because then, you know, do, do we, obviously, do we want to judge the entire group of people by how a majority or even some of that group of people have treated us? Um, you know, kind of like when, when you're thinking in really broad and general terms, you kind of have to, but when you're thinking in specific individuals, you know, not necessarily. Right. So that's always, that's always very complicated. Um, let's see here. Pizza Hut tried to say that they hadn't been losing money from the NFL. Turns out they weren't putting ads on their games. <laughs> Oh, Pizza Hut needs to be the official pizza of the alt-right because they're my favorite. <laughs> no. Oh, gosh. No, they're probably just as degenerate as everybody else. Um, okay, so let me go over here to my last news article today that I wanted to talk about. And then um, maybe we'll do go ahead and tag me if you've got questions for me in the chat. Tag me at Wife with a Purpose, and I will try to answer those before we get done. Um, let me go over here to my Twitter to see if anyone has commented on my live stream. Okay, no, I just want to make sure that I didn't have anybody commenting there. All right, um, so what, what I'll do is we'll talk about one more news story from this week, and I will answer any questions in the comment section and then we'll go ahead and wrap it up. I kind of was aiming for about an hour here. Um, 
because obviously I got to get back to my kids. <laughs> They're playing outside right now. So we still have a little bit of good weather where we are. Our weather's been pretty crazy. It was like super cold. We actually got a little light dusting of snow and then it warmed back up and it's in the seventies again. So it's really beautiful. They're outside enjoying it before it gets too cold. Okay, so maybe don't dress your kid up as Moana this Halloween. So I'm sure you guys saw this. Um, it's on you to teach your kid not to be racially insensitive. This is an article I'm reading in Cosmopolitan magazine. And that, man, Cosmo, that's been trash since I was a teenager. Um, it's mid-October, which means Halloween is just two weeks away, which means it's way past time to decide on a Halloween costume for your kid. Chances are you have a child that is enamored with all things Disney and wants to be all of the princesses. Yes, I do. I have two children like that. They're called girls. They're five and three years old and they love Disney princesses. Um, all of them, especially Moana. Now, yeah, that's funny because I actually only just recently let my daughters watch Moana last week. So my daughters are not totally into Moana because they just saw it. But when they did see it, they loved her, especially loved her hair. They loved her hair. I loved her hair. It's gorgeous. All right. The New York Post recently highlighted an article on raceconscious.org race about how that's probably not a good choice if your, kids are, or if your kid is white and revealed that, quote, moms are freaking out, end quote, over the culturally appropriate, appropriative costume. Um, needless to say, the Post's coverage has only amplified the debate around what does and doesn't constitute cultural appropriation. Last year, Disney came under fire for its Ma uh, Maui costume, which depicted the demigod's painted brown skin. The company ultimately pulled the costume in response to the uproar, telling Entertainment Weekly in a statement that the team behind Moana has taken great care to respect the cultures of the Pacific Islands that inspired the film, and we regret the Ma Maui... I think I'm saying that right. Maui costume has offended some. The Maui question may have been settled, but this year there are plenty of tweets out there asking the internet if it's okay to dress as Moana for Halloween. Um, if your kid wears a racist costume, you're kind of wearing it too, is one of the, the pulled quotes from this. Um, it's just ridiculous. I don't even know where to start. Um... Here's okay. Here's one thing I love about white people. We don't care about this cultural appropriation nonsense. The only time we ever use it is when in a half joking manner. Um, you know, when Disney first started out, their depictions of all racial groups and ethnic groups, including white people, were incredibly stereotypical. Stereotypes exist for a reason, and they can be good and bad. But we have to think when we're thinking about the world as a whole, you have to think in generalities and you can't be that specific. And if you nitpick every specific detail, you make life miserable. So Disney used to be pretty, you know, stereotypical about its depiction. You know, I mean, you know, when it, you look at some of the old cartoons and the, you know, the Dutch kid is like, you know, pasty white and blonde and going her to her to her to her, you know, I mean, and wearing wooden shoes. Um, it's not like it, they were being racist against everybody, but that's how it was. You know, you used to, you know, the Irish people were depicted as, you know, flushed red and, you know, everybody was depicted in a stereotypical and, and jovial manner. And we talked in, in terms of universalities and now we can't anymore. Um, and, uh, so 
so we've we've switched over here and now Disney is taking really great care, particularly with non-white characters, to portray them in an accurate way. And, you know, obviously I am no expert in Polynesian culture. Um, however, I thought the way they portrayed Moana and Maui and everything in this was actually, I thought they went to leaps and bounds to portray, to portray it fairly. Um, they're just, they're just not going to get every single detail correct. And then, but people are never, they're never happy. And then, uh, and then to say that you're, you're white girl, you know, and of course they say white girls. Now, you know, Moana is Polynesian, Tongan, or how, you know, there's a lot of different ways to say that, I guess, and different types of groups in, in the island, Pacific Islander, let's say that, Pacific Islander, whatever. So did they say Mexican kids can't dress like Moana? Did they say Jewish kids can't dress like Moana? Did they say Chinese kids can't dress like Moana? No, it's just whites. Why is it just whites? Why? Like, why? I, I mean, I bet you dollars to donuts there were, you know, uh, Filipino kids and Mexican kids running around as Moana for Halloween. And not one person saying a darn word about it. It's only when white kids do it. And you can see this kind of targeted racism when they do stuff like that. Let me jump over here. And check out the comments. Oh, and also, you know, they were complaining that going as Elsa or Anna was holding up the white beauty standard and um, <laughs> more white or European standards of beauty. And I was actually incredibly shocked when Disney made Frozen because it was a white culture. And um, it may be the last one we see for a while until things turn around and uh, whites get a little bit more of our backbone back and get into people who are white and not ashamed of it get into positions of power again. It might be a very long while before we see Disney make another very white, culturally white, ethnically white princess or movie. Charlie says, Disney has always been excellent at animating hair. Oh my goodness, Charlie. And I love Charlie. Everybody, I don't know if people have been on my live shows before. I always got to give a shout out to Charlie. She's, her and I have been internet friends, I think, a decade. I love you, Charlie. She's, and you're right. And, and Moana's hair was amazing. And they, they do that incredibly, let's see, incredibly well. The Japanese don't care about cultural appropriation either, says Julie Kidman. Yes, you're right. They go all out for Halloween costumes. Black Pigeon Speaks had a great video about that this Halloween. Go check it out on his channel if you haven't seen it. It's brilliant. I I love Japanese people. They are just so much fun. And I love their attitude of like, they could give zero flips about what you think about them. They're going to have some fun. And they're not going to take refugees in. They're going to be proud to be Japanese. They're going to have their culture the way they like it with their video games and their American appropriated Coca-Cola and blue jeans. And they are going to dress up like fun, get drunk on sake and have a good time. While maintaining some of the most strict moral uh, codes for family ethical behavior that we've ever seen. And they just make it work, and they're not ashamed of it at all. They, you, you couldn't say two bits to, to Japanese people about it. They'll laugh you, laugh you silly. Um, I love them. We need, we need that, white people. We need to be looking at Asians, uh, particularly the Japanese, for that. And we need to be looking towards um, the Slavs for that unapologetic, uh, this is who we are, this is our culture, 
we're proud and we're happy and leave us the flip alone, right? We need to be looking towards them for that. We can learn so much. Okay. Um, oh, <laughs> have you seen Black Pigeon Speaks video showing Halloween in Japan? You guys are way ahead of me. I'm trying to catch up here on the comments. Yes. Okay. Why for the purpose? What are your thoughts of shifting the Overton window? Oh, I think, well, that Overton window thing, I don't know. You know, it's become such a catchphrase at this point. But it's shifting. It, it's shifting. I was listening to a local radio program here last night um, on my way to a church function and uh, just turned on the local talk radio that runs, you know, the conservative programs during the day, Hannity and, and Laura Ingram and things like that. And we have a local guy who's on later in the evening who's, you know, just, you know, very simple operation, just a guy in a microphone and he has conservative politics and uh, talking about things. And he was talking about the issues with white people. And, you know, and he's totally, you know, again, uh, like a Sean Hannity type, you know, you, you would call them a patriotard or a, a, you know, a rhino or, you know, I, well, I don't know that he's, you know, that extreme, but, you know, just a regular conservative Republican guy. Like he's not in, you know, uh, red pilled at all that I know of. He's not race conscious really at all that I know of other than he's noticed this anti-white um, politics that's been going on now and he was speaking out about it and so really the Overton window is shifting it is more and more people it's trickling down I love it I love watching it I love watching it trickle down in in my family I've seen it my friends I've seen it and just in society in general um, I've seen it and, uh, you know, hold on, because it, it's just keep speaking the truth. God will use the truth. Okay. Uh, let me see about, so let's see if we have any more comments. If I was still in college, I would be the one putting up the It's Okay to Be White posters. <laughs> oh, my. I love it. Um, yeah, I would do that, too. In fact, I've thought about doing it before. Not that it's okay to be white, but some of the other college campaigns that they've had. And I'm like, uh, I think me and my six kids might stick out on <laughs> a college campus. Um, okay, so it, go ahead and if you've got any other questions or topics you want me to talk about, go ahead and pop them in the chat box right now. Um, I'm going to take a small break. And then I will come back and answer a few questions if you've got them. And then I will go ahead and wrap up this week's show. Um, stay tuned next Thursday. I'll go ahead and do another live show. I'll do a little bit more advertising of it because I wasn't entirely sure that it was even going to work <laughs> this time. So you guys are my guinea pigs. Um, it'll be much better next time for sure. So... All right, I'm going to take about a two-minute break, and then I will be right back.
Alrighty guys, I'm back. So, <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this show. And I feel bad because you guys are having some like great conversations here in the chat section. Um, thank you for the compliments. Thank you, JT Smith. And um, thank uh, for uh, your sweet uh, comments there. Um, I really appreciate you guys. Um, oh, Julie says, loved seeing the baby washing the dishes. Um, yeah, that was such a sweet moment in my family. And um, I wish they got, my kids got along that great all the time. Um, but they have these wonderful moments that uh, come out like that. And I love to encourage that and encourage that behavior. And um, they, uh, they were really getting along really well today. So that was such a blessing. Um, but I hate to, I hate to kind of cut your conversation short. I'm sorry, but definitely um, I'm gonna do this again next Thursday. Um, it's gonna be called Random Thoughts Live. I'm gonna try to do it every Thursday, typically around 4 p.m. Um, Pacific Standard, um, 7 7 Eastern time. Did it a little early this week, and uh, let's see if we got any last questions. Well, where do I stay on the optics debate? Do you think we need to clean it up or continue to be edgy? Oh, well, um, I hold oh, the optics. That's, that's a, thank you, Jake, for that question. That's a really complicated question. So I don't want to take too much time answering it. I think you could probably write a, a book on that. But I love, see, here's my problem. I love the edgy jokes. That's one of my um, weaknesses. And where I get in a little bit of trouble is because I do love a good joke, an edgy joke. And so I think that when we are making edgy jokes, and they're obviously jokes, um, and especially amongst our own people, that's one thing. But I think that when we are presenting to the public, I think our optics need to be really clean and tidy and neat. And I love um, Identitaire Europa over the um, the identity group in, in Europe. Um, I really like their style. It's kind of, uh, you know, and of course, obviously, they're working within different laws than we have in America here, but they have a very nice, neat style, you know, kind of a flash mob banner um, unfolding, you know, everyone looks presentable, and I like that. And I have to say that just personally, I don't like the Nazi aesthetics. I don't, you know, irregardless uh, on the million different positions and, and takes you could have on, on Nazism all the way from it was the most evil thing in the world to it was the greatest thing in the world in every spectrum in between, um, which I think a lot of modern people are really starting to dissect that and have more um, varied opinions on, on Nazism than you would have found 10 or 20 years ago. Um, I don't think it's productive. It, 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 it's, um, and I think that when you're on 4chan, you know, be edgy and be funny. Um, you know, I know when I'm with my friends, you know, I'll, I'll act a little different than I would if I was with my grandma, you know. And I think that that's what you you have to think about where you're, you're at. And so I think optics ultimately isn't a question of consistency. We're not always going to have to have the same optics in every single situation. But I think especially post-Charlottesville, where our, um, our movement was completely and totally set up in Charlottesville. Um, I think the news media knew going in that, that, that this was it, that they'd, they'd had enough of this alt-right stuff, that we were getting too much um, vindication. 
and we were getting too much good good press, really, no matter how much they were trying to spin it. And I think that uh, the news media went in, and no matter what happened, they were going to uh, try to make us look as bad as possible. I think we obviously had some infiltrators that day, because, you know, the Nazi flags they were carrying still had their creases in it. They'd just unpack them from, you know, wherever they'd ordered them. Um, and so there was definitely some of that going on in Charlottesville. And I think that post Charlottesville, we have to be really careful about our optics. And, um, I think we also have to give each other a lot of grace. I don't, I hate the Nazi aesthetics and I don't like the Sieg Heils and that make and it kind of makes me mad because a lot of the people that do that sort of thing are anonymous. Um, they're there, they have their faces covered, they're, you know, 20 years old and they're throwing a Sieg Heil. It doesn't reflect back on, on them. They're not the ones that pay for it. The ones that pay for it are people um, like myself and to a greater extent the, the, the better known names in the movement who are out there fully doxxed with our real name, you know, um, and all of our information out there. And the mom in me gets pissed when I see that because I'm like, you know what, I have kids and people are trying, you know, threatening to come after me. And when I stand up and I say, hey, the White Lives Matter rally are good people, and then some idiot throws a Sieg Heil, it's like, come on, you know, it, it's reflecting on me. And that guy who threw a Sieg Heil, no one knows who he is. He's not going to suffer for this. I, you know, I, I will suffer for this because people are going to be sending me the death threats. And they're the ones that are going to be doxing my address. And I'm the one that has to, you know, hire personal security and, you know, get extra security for my home and, you know, things like that. It's like it they're playing with something that doesn't affect them too. And I think they need to realize that, that there's people out there in the movement, you know, that, that, that we're public, you know, and there's no going back for us. And, you know, please don't ruin our lives because you want to be edgy, you know? Um, but anyways, okay. That's, so that's that. Uh, let's see here. Um... There's a couple more questions. Uh, let me see. Okay. Do you think schools should re-implement placement tests? They were like aptitude tests that determined where you would be best suited. I, I, that's not a bad idea if we're talking about it like that. Yeah, you know, um, I think that there was a time 50 years ago when we realized that not every child was going to be the next CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And we said, hey, you know, you might be pumping gas for a living, but let's educate you best we can for that, you know, or, you know, these kids are better working with their hands. They might, they might, you know, their, their level of education, their smarts might be more geared towards, um, hands-on work whereas you know maybe this guy is more in his head he might be you know a better uh a head person and you know as far as like you know oh this this person <laughs> this is what I got all the time you're good at arguing you should be a lawyer <laughs> but you know we used to have teachers that would help us uh, in testing that would help direct kids and now we just expect everybody should go to college and everybody should be the next um Zuckerberg or something and we're, we're just we're not all smart I'm not the I'm not the next Zuck. I can't I couldn't be a doctor are you kidding me like I, I have I've actually sat down and thought about this like 
you know, I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not an idiot, but you know, I'm like, gosh, could I be a doctor? Like I could maybe pass the test, but it would be so hard and I'd be a bad doctor. It would be really hard for me. And then I wouldn't, I'm just not good at it. You know, we don't all have to be successful in those ways that we've always deemed successful. So yeah, maybe some placement testing would help, you know, um, and, and stop, uh, stop overvaluing elitism and elite professions like doctors and lawyers um, and start valuing things like hairdressers again. You know, my granny was a hairdresser and she was a hardworking woman and I loved her and she was great and she was smart. And, um, you know, why can't we just value the, the working man again, you know? All right, let's see here. Do you think whites will manage to maintain a majority in the USA? Ah, I go back and forth on this. Uh, depends on the day that you ask me. Today I'm feeling pretty white-pilled. I'll say yeah. <laughs> I don't know, ask me tomorrow and I might be feeling black-pilled. I was feeling a little black-pilled last week. If you'd asked me last week, I probably would have said no. No, I think we will. I think we will. I think we will. I get down every now and again, but overall I'm incredibly optimistic. I think we're going to just manage to eke it out. I think we will. Okay, let's see here. Um, you're one of the great Mormon thinkers and doers. Keep it up <laughs> from private. Um, well, thank you, I think. <laughs> um, but I will say, um, I know a lot of people reference my Mormonism. Um, back in the end of the summer, I decided that, uh, having been open about my denominational affiliation during my, well, I didn't know I was going to become an activist. Really. I was just an anti-feminist venting on Twitter in between homeschool assignments. Um, but I didn't know that I was going to get, you know, any kind of infamy out of what I did, um, on YouTube or Twitter. I would have, but it, had I've known, I wouldn't have never, I would have never said I was Mormon. And the reason because, you know, then the church becomes answerable to, you know, what I'm doing or what the press claims that I'm doing. And it gets really complicated. And if I was, you know, if I was a Presbyterian or Baptist or Catholic or, you know, Buddhist, I, you know, I, I would feel the same way that I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't have said anything. I should have just said I'm a Christian and that's it. Um, and, uh, and that's, and that's, uh, what I say now. And, uh, I've decided that I'm private about which church my family attends and private about my, the specifics of my theological involvement and denominationally, I've decided to take that private. So make no assumptions. <laughs> I'm a Christian. <laughs> um, make no assumptions either way, but I just want to really kind of, um, break I do want to break with that image of being a Mormon and I'm not saying that because I'm disavowing the church or Mormonism I'm saying that because I want to be known more for what I'm saying and not for the Mormon church having to react to me or reacting to the lies spread about me um but I appreciate the compliment <laughs> uh Hitler was a nice dresser <laughs> that's actually very true say say what you want about Hitler but he he uh he was a the, those Hugo Boss suits, some of the best suits, I think, in military history. Okay. Um, let's see. I know that there was some more questions here. Oops. I've scrolled all the way down to the bottom. I'm not a good scroller. <laughs> uh, 
replied. You're very red-pilled, though, and clearly very intelligent in life. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I don't know. I suppose I'm very opinionated, and I think that that... <laughs> Opinionated can sometimes look more intelligent than it is. <laughs> so <laughs> don't put my intellect on a pedestal. I'm just trying to figure it out like everybody else. Uh, let's see. All right. Oh, we've gone over my time. I was really going to end it. Okay. Okay. I always do this when I do a live thing. I always don't want to stop because you guys are so fun in the comment section and I feel like I'm hanging out with my friends. I'm like, I feel like I've opened up my house and you guys are all here for a party and everybody's talking. We're having a good time. And now I'm like, I have to go and everybody has to get out. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to shut down the chat now because I have to turn off and I have to go. Um, so <laughs> I'm sorry. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I have to go. I have to go make dinner for my family. Um, but love to you guys. Thank you so much for coming on here and having a good time with me. I will be back Thursday. Um, don't forget, if you're so inclined, www.com. Oh, my gosh. I just sounded like it was from 1990. Hold on. Let me re-say that. Wifeforthepurpose.com. <laughs> forward slash support if you want to throw a couple shekels my way i always appreciate it and i will talk to you guys later thanks so much have a great night